he is immortal. Born in the highlands of Scotland 400 years ago, he is not alone. There are others like him, some good, some evil. For centuries, he has battled the forces of darkness with holy ground, his only refuge. He cannot die unless you take his head and with it his power. In the end, there can be only one. He is Duncan MacLeod, the Highlander. And welcome into Let's Watch Highlander. This is Let's Watch Highlander Season 3, Episode 14, Song of the Executioner. And here to talk with you about it as we are every week, I'm your host Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. My co-host is Audie, and how are you doing this week, Audie? Doing all right. It's been a week. Uh, survived Halloween. My boys got plenty of candy that I can try and steal stuff from, so They'll doing never right. notice. The trick is you take a little bit at a time. You take just, yeah. a, just a piece or two at a time. Before you know it, you've had plenty of candy. They haven't had to have as much candy, and mm-hmm. you know everyone wins. Um, yeah. yeah, I made it through Halloween. I didn't have uh, I didn't have any trick or treaters. My neighborhood doesn't get them. We're kind of too far out. There was I saw like two groups of people walking <laughs> through the neighborhood uh, all night when I took Bella out, but I just kept my house nice. dark and. It's easier that way because I'm in the back part of the subdivision too. So, yeah, my boys went trick or treating and came back, and the five year old was like, "I want to hand out candy." So that's what he did. Like, we had a group of girls that was like, "Oh my gosh, where's your mother?" <laughs> it's like, we're here. We're just letting them do that because they want to. Yeah. Why not? Well, that's cool. I'm glad that uh, that yeah. all went well for you. Um, so w- we have a pretty good episode this week. Um, yeah, we do. It uh, and and it's not our first time we've ended on a to be continued, but it's one of the only times we've ended on a to be continued. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, there's a lot in this episode to talk about. I think we should jump right into it. Uh, but first, I got another tape. Got another Watcher Chronicle. Let's give it a listen. Nice. February twentieth, nineteen ninety five. Brother Paul and his choir of monks have come to town for a performance, and what a treat that is. Dawson had me check in the archives and see when the last time Paul was off of holy ground. If you can believe it, it's been more than 300 years. It would seem he's slowly coming into the 20th century after all. Rumor has it that Magna Records offered a recording deal for the choir. That's going to be a huge boon to their order and help fund them for quite some time. I may have to pick up a CD of the monk's singing. Would be a nice change from the music I hear in the bar. I love blues, but that bass player Max has been a pain lately. I think Dawson is going to fire him. So we open up with Duncan and Anne. They're at a concert, and it's a choir of monks singing on a stage at this performance hall. Uh, the One of the monks on stage is an immortal, because we get the buzz. They, he locks mm-hmm. eyes with Duncan. They nod and smile. You can kind of tell they're friends. And then we cut to um, what looks like kind of a control room, and we see a mysterious man sitting there, and he's very intently watching the concert and watching Duncan, uh, kind of clutching at his throat a little bit. We're not sure who this guy is, but uh, he's a very serious-looking dude for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So after the, the concert ends, Duncan goes up to talk to um, his friend Paul, brother Paul, who is off holy ground for the first time uh, in a long time. 
Um, they have a, a fun little exchange. Uh, I really loved his line where he's like, getting out of the Abbey once a century is enough for me. Um, <laughs> and sort of cut cut right to Duncan with this look like, uh, dude, dude. And Anne just sort of smiling like, I'm not sure if he's serious or not. Uh, it was great. They Paul and Duncan decide, you know, hey, come on over. Let's talk. Um, let's catch up, all this kind of stuff. You know, it's great to see you. I haven't seen you in forever. And he says, sure. And he goes to to get the rest of the monks kind of squared away and make sure that everything's going well. Um, because we found out the reason he's off holy ground is they got a record deal. They got a recording contract for the choir. And mm-hmm. it was a great way for support and for money for the Abbey. So um, he did it. Well, before he has a chance to leave the performance hall, uh, the mysterious man that we saw comes up to him from behind, and he's an immortal. And we learn that his name is Callus, and he knows Paul. And they fight, and Paul, not much of a fighter anymore. Uh, he tries, but it doesn't last very long. Callus <laughs> takes his head. So we get uh, Duncan back at the loft with Anne. Um, Anne's on the phone with, uh, I guess, a coworker, friend, patient. I'm not exactly sure. It's somebody we've never seen before. Um, right. I believe it's a coworker slash patient. Seems like it. Who Anne is telling, um, go ahead, stay home tomorrow. Um, and meanwhile, Duncan is getting nervous because Paul hasn't shown up yet. And he doesn't know if he's lost in the city somewhere. He, he you know, because from Duncan's perspective, this is a man who's been sequestered for hundreds of years and right. doesn't really know what's going on. So the next morning, Richie comes into the dojo. And he lets Mac know that he's he's gonna he needs a couple of days off to go to Miami for a motorcycle race. And Duncan's like, "Yeah, sure, go ahead." And Richie immediately knows, "Ooh, something's not right." He can tell mm-hmm. Duncan's upset, so he sits down. They talk it out. Paul still hasn't shown up. Nobody's found him yet. And Richie's like, "All right, I'll stay." And Duncan tells him, "Now, don't don't worry about it. There's nothing you can do. Go go do your race. Just be careful. Good luck. All that kind of stuff." So Richie heads yep. off. What I liked about that was that was a great way to write Richie out of the episode and still have him there. So I have a reason why he's not around mm-hmm. while this is going on. Right. Um, so Anne gets to work and finds out that her friend, who she had spoken to the night before, died of an insulin overdose, mm-hmm. which shouldn't have happened because she was being treated for hypoglycemia. Right. And the hospital administrator is worried that Anne might be burnt out, might be making mistakes. Um all this kind of stuff. Anne is getting flustered. And as she's walking away, we see Callus standing in the hospital. Mm, something's up. Something's not right. <clears throat> Duncan goes to Joe's to find out about Paul and see if Joe has heard anything, if any of the watchers know anything. They don't. Nobody's heard a word about Paul. Um, and uh, while they're chatting, Joe mentions, oh, I've got a package for you. Oh, And just as he's saying that, uh, a guy walks in who was playing bass for the band, and he's been a thorn in Duncan or in uh, in Dawson's side for a little bit. Dawson's firing him, mm-hmm. and so there's a there's a little dust up. The guy goes behind the bar, grabs a beer, says, "You know what? I just got a record deal. I'm going to be in the studio starting tomorrow. You can take this job and shove it and and leaves." Uh, and then Dawson says, "Oh, that's right. I had something for you." And he hand, he gives Duncan the package, and it's Paul's prayer beads, and so Duncan realizes immediately that Paul is dead and mm-hmm. we get a flashback. So after all of that, um, the police show up at the bar uh, and they have a warrant for drug sale and possession for Joe. 
So Dawson, of course, he's like, whatever, search. You're not going to find anything. Oh, they find drugs uh, right behind the bar. And so they arrest Joe um, and close the bar down. And Anne has yet another patient have problems. Mm -hmm. And we see Callis at the hospital again. So this time she mentions that her signature was on the chart for this person. And that triggers a memory for Duncan. So he kind of proves that, oh, no, this is a forgery. He's figured it <laughs> out by this point. He, he has an idea that it's Callus that's coming right. after. He's coming after him, and he's hurting the people that he knows. Duncan uh, ends up finding it, and uh, he goes to have uh, their, their final confrontation at the performance hall. They duke it out. They have a, a fight. But it doesn't end uh, with anyone getting beheaded this time because Callus also had Anne showing up. <coughs> Pardon me. So before Callus can take Duncan's head, Anne shows up, kind of distracts them a little bit. As Duncan is hanging off of a catwalk, he drops to his quote-unquote death in front of Anne. Right. Mm -hmm. um, this is enough for Callus to kind of disappear, take off, because Richie was there also to protect Anne. Right. And, uh, but... but at the same time, it serves to further along what Callus was doing, right? Because he's driven Anne and Duncan apart now. Yep. And the episode ends with Duncan saying, I have to leave. And Richie consoling Anne and then uh, and then saying he's going to stay on and run the dojo for a little bit. And that's, we end with a to be continued. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a lot in this episode, but it doesn't feel yeah. overstuffed. No, it doesn't. Um, and it's, 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 it's a lot that's smartly put together. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, and, uh, I think what we do is we start with our special guests, uh, cause there's a couple of them to talk about and they're both really good. Yeah. I want you to meet Anne Lindsay and meet a man who doesn't believe in the 20th century. Oh, I believe in it. I just haven't quite arrived yet. Oh, there's no hurry. So special guests this week. Um, we have two. Definite special guests I want to talk about, and then a third one I want to mention just because I recognized him, and I, I have to, I have to do that. <laughs> but first, we're going to start with Brother Paul, played by Eugene Lipinski. Um, mm -hmm. Now, it's weird for me to see him now because I associate Eugene Lipinski so much with his character from Fringe because he showed up in a bunch I of episodes of that, that as December, and they aged him up a little bit in that. But he's also you know twenty something years older at that point. He looks so young in this comparatively mm -hmm. i really like him in this episode i like paul yeah. um for the for the limited amount of time he gets on screen he comes across very affable he's very he's mm -hmm. he's funny without and has a little bit of fish out of water without being naive like he's definitely right. intelligent and worldly mm -hmm. but he's also been cooped up for 300 years so right we mentioned the uh the kind of banter that he has with duncan early on i love that you know the whole thing, mm -hmm. like, I flew on a jet plane, and they showed this movie. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we can talk about the decline of Western morality. He's like, it wasn't the morality. It was the dialogue. It was atrocious. Like, <laughs> I love that. Um, Especially at this point, thinking about it, knowing what's coming on later in the episode when they are discussing Shakespeare. Yes. Just makes that a so much better joke. Absolutely. Um, and... It's a bummer that his character dies off quickly in the episode. 
because you want more mm-hmm. of him in the present day. But right. what they did was they balanced so well writing the character to have him almost all in the flashbacks in very little mm-hmm. present day. And so you learn a little bit more about him in the flashbacks. He gets time to kind of stretch and grow. And he's his performance is great. Eugene Lipinski just nails this like kind, you know, he started this order of monks as basically a sanctuary for immortals, more or less. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then David Robb as Callus, who Callus started the monastery with Paul. Um, right. The interesting thing there is not getting any more backstory about the two of them in this episode mm-hmm. and kind of how they met and why they started things because they're very different people. Um, right. Callus is almost conniving and backstabbing in a lot of ways. Like he, mm-hmm. and I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to disparage Paul, but it's like this went on for who knows how long and he never noticed. Right. And I think what that is, it's not so much a disparaging remark as it's just Paul sees the good in people. Right. And Callus is kind of out for himself. Mm-hmm. But Callus also kept to himself enough that it's like he could get away with that. And Paul didn't want to see those bad things about him. Right. Yeah. I almost want to think of Callus as just being that smart enough to get away with it. Well, sure. You and know, like, obviously anybody that knows what he's doing is dead by the time they find right. out. So. But uh, smart enough that he does it without Brother Paul knowing mm-hmm. and not thinking that Brother Paul is just a rube. Right. That Alice is getting away with this under. the Like, Callus is doing this very smart. And mm-hmm. Brother Paul isn't noticing at all, so... Alice was like really good at hiding this. Yeah. Duncan coming in and being someone who's not used to things. He's going to be out and about and seeing stuff that the others aren't. That's true. And I do think it takes, you know, the, not only the outside perspective, but also Duncan being young in terms mm-hmm. of immortals. This, uh, you know, cause he meets Callus in 1658. So he's, right. he's only in his fifties at that point. Mm hmm. He's very young. He hasn't been an immortal that long. So, mm-hmm. and all he's known is war and warrior right. like nature. So he, he's going to sniff that out a little bit more. And he even has that line where he's like, he looks more like a warrior than a scribe as he looks over to see Callus. So that kind of makes sense. But yeah, yeah, I just, ah, both of them really do a great job. David Robb, I would say if I had a complaint about this episode, it's only the voice effect they did to give him the raspy voice. Mm-hmm. My guess is that either he couldn't do a good raspy voice or they didn't want to put that on him to try and carry that through this episode and um, any subsequent episodes he was going to do. So it was easier for them to do kind of a post-process on his voice. Right. Because um, he has a very smooth voice. His natural voice is, mm-hmm. is great. Um it's funny. I didn't realize it at all until just looking at his IMDb. He was the doctor on... Downton Abbey. That's yep. where I know him from more than anything. Good lord. Yes. Yeah, um, and he's great. I love his ability mm-hmm. to look sinister. Yeah. Because he's just got, like, there's something about his eyes 
And yeah. your art for this week captured that. So uh, I'm going to definitely mention that again later. But <laughs> but um, he's got this thing with his eyes that make him look like he can look at somebody and it's just this evil look. And it is yeah. very much the polar opposite of Eugene Lipinski, who has this almost almost childlike innocence to his face in this episode. Yeah. Even though, you know, he's smarter than than you wouldn't want to uh, underestimate him. Right, but he definitely has the look of somebody that's very, uh, very approachable. So yeah, for I sure. Liked, I liked both of those. Uh, I also have to mention um, John Tench as Max Jupe, who was the bass player uh, that gets fired by Joe. Um, uh huh. He is another one. He's a character actor. I've seen a bunch of stuff. Um, he was also in Fringe. He was in an episode of that. Um, he has. He's another one that just like David Robb has this ability to have this look that kind of gives you chills. John Tench has a look about him that just screams uh, like playing the sleazy character. Um, mm-hmm. Whether yeah. he's going to do that and it's going to be the, the trope is going to be subverted or not, there's just something about his look that he can pull that type of character off so well. Um, yeah. And for his limited amount of time on screen, I liked him. I, I liked that he had two scenes where he gets to be kind of the tough guy and then sort of the foil um, mm-hmm. at the same time. And he does them both great. So, yeah, it was good work from uh, all you know all three of them, but our two special guests, especially Lipinski and, and David Robb, just so good. Mm-hmm. And you know, you talked about how they uh, what they did with Callus's voice. The only other thing that really stood out to me, besides that, was uh, one of the other really good actors, Dmitri Gor- Gorstas, uh-huh. as Brother Timon. Yes. His ADR was terrible. It was so noticeable. Like it of was. everything. I was like, what's going on? What did he do? But, you get that sometimes. I mean, we had that with Darius right. in season one. His ADR was mm-hmm. always very obvious. So, But I'm saying like that was the one thing I nitpicked in this episode of everything. Like that's how good this episode was. That one little bit of ADR was the one <laughs> nitpick I could really pick out. Yeah. I mean, that's a good sign for an episode when that's what we're focusing mm-hmm. on. Um no, it was very, very good, well-cast, well-written special guests. Because right. we've talked about you know special guests that elevate the material that they're given, and we've talked mm-hmm. about some that don't quite get there, but the character's written okay. This was well-written for both Paul and Callus, as well as very good performances. Well-written and great performances from Every single person, like we're talking about these special guests. There's other persons, like you know, Marsha, who was uh, Anne's friend, who was the mm-hmm. first one to die. Like she's been in a couple episodes before. She did great. Uh, the other lady at the hospital, like she just had bit parts where she's reacting, you know, to Anne about stuff. But even that, that little bit, she nailed perfectly for mm-hmm. just what it was. Not over dramatic, but exactly as dramatic as it needed to be for the situation. Like sure. this is one of those episodes where, again, like you said, like we've talked about, everybody nails their performance exactly yes. as, as it should be. Absolutely. You stay on holy ground all the time. Everything I want exists within these walls. Here, my voice touches heaven, or so it seems. <laughs> I cannot imagine leaving. So our flashbacks take place in Europe in 1658, um, and I kind of like how they don't. Give us an exact location. Right. Um, I appreciated that. So McLeod arrives in the middle of a storm at the Abbey run by Paul. And Paul and Brother uh, Timon let him in. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And Duncan's there looking for his friend Peter Hale, um, who told him about this place. He's been traveling uh, all over Europe, all over Italy, and and through England and all that kind of stuff to get wherever they are. Um, Paul, you know, obviously says, yeah, come on in, come on in. I love the mm-hmm. moment where he's taking his sword because Duncan isn't going to let that go. Timon reaches for right. it and he's like, uh-uh, no, it doesn't leave my hand. And mm-hmm. Paul, Paul even tells him, he's like, this is a place of, of sanctuary. It's safe for you, all of this. And he, he reaches out his hand to take the sword from Duncan. And he goes, don't worry, we haven't lost one. And then he takes it from him and he says, yet, and kind of gives him a little <laughs> wink and walks away. <laughs> that again, that's that Paul. Like, that's that great moment of Paul where mm-hmm. he's, he's being very soothing and very comforting to Duncan, but then he's got to get a little joke in there too. Um, yeah. So that was great. One little thing before we move on. Yeah. So I watched this on uh, Peacock again, and then I went over to IMDb uh-huh. TV and checked it out. This was another time where, for some reason, this flashback had some weird cuts in it from an earlier episode, specifically the the episode in season one of Kyler when he's like weird. dancing around in the streets. I know. And it was the exact same thing both on Peacock and IMDb TV. So something happened weird when they were cutting this and putting it up for streaming that is strange i'm gonna have to i'm going to watch that this week and and check it out yeah for sure so for any of you others out there going what was that it's like yeah that was another mistake on (laughs) however they put it up for streaming i don't know how that happened especially because it was like from a season one episode right that was weird um so so in the flashback duncan meets paul he meets timon uh and then um Mm -hmm. He also uh, is introduced to Callus as Callus is singing. Right. Um, and later on, Duncan's eating um, with Timon. And I love I loved how Timon is asking him about singing. And he's like, yeah, I can sing over a keg of ale, but no one wants to hear that. <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, he's like, not like them. They, they sound more like birds than men. And uh, right. And I love Duncan is genuinely impressed by their singing by the by this mm-hmm. by this Abbey. So Timon hands him a book, and that's a what I liked about the way that scene played out with with Brother Timon and Duncan and the book, which he, we find out is Shakespeare's Macbeth. Is at first Duncan plays it off as Oh yeah yeah I've uh, I, I should yeah. read that, and he plays it off as Well I I probably won't have time to read it, you know. All this. Mm-hmm. And Timon's like, you can't read. But not super accusatory, just like kind of surprised in a little right. way. And mm-hmm. Duncan, Duncan, to his credit, gets ruffled a little bit, but not like super offended. He's like, no, I can right. read. I can read some Latin and a little Italian. He's like, well, you can't read English. I mean, I pick up a word or two. Mm-hmm. But then when Timon offers to teach him how to read... He doesn't. He's not defensive about the idea of being taught how to read. He's like, "Wait, you, you don't mind?" Like he wants to learn, and I love that. That was great. That was such a cool like exchange between those guys. Yeah, um, definitely. It's fun little character moments like that that they throw in now and then, where it's not what you expect the character to be. Like for something like that, you'd expect Duncan to be all like, "No, no, I can read. I don't need to read." I mean, you know, kind of thing. But. For once, they're like, no, he's going to be okay that he doesn't know something yet and want to learn, but doesn't want to bother somebody. So well, when yeah. Timon offers it, it's like, really? Seriously? Yeah. Well, and I like it because the conversation starts off with Duncan 
being very macho and being very much like, you don't know me, you don't understand me. And Timmons like, look, I was outside once too. You know, I, mm-hmm. I came here because I needed to find who I was and, and blah, blah, blah. And the fact that Duncan knows only battle. And so he starts off with this very macho machismo thing going on. But by the time it gets to the point of like, wait, you don't mind teaching me how to read? You realize Duncan, that's why Duncan is there. Duncan is there to learn, to better himself, to do something mm-hmm. new. Um, so I, I very much appreciated that. And then we get to see him as he's starting to learn to read. And then, uh, he happens upon Callus, who's sharpening his sword, which is the first thing that makes Duncan kind of be like, well, what's that all about? Cause why would he need to sharpen mm-hmm. his sword? What's Callus need a sword for? Huh? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so our second flashback goes back to it. And this time, uh, we've got Duncan and Paul. Um, Duncan's been at the monastery. He's, he's still fairly new there, um, but he's wearing his robes. He's talking mm-hmm. to him. Uh, that, this flashback had some fun moments where, uh, again, he sees, he sees Callus copying a Bible um, and makes the comment of, I've never seen its likeness by man or machine. Right. Um, and Callus is like, well, I've had hundreds of years to practice, so I should be good at this. <laughs> Um, right. But Duncan, Duncan is very suspicious of Callus to the point where when he had arrived, he'd mentioned his friend Peter Hale. And the word was that he, Peter had left a few weeks earlier and told Callus he was going to England. Mm-hmm. So then Duncan asked Callus, well, where did Peter go again? And, and Callus is like, oh, he went to Denmark. And that's there. There's where Duncan's yeah. like, hold on now. <laughs> I also very much liked uh, the exchange between uh, Duncan and Timon as he's learning to read and he's mm-hmm. sounding stuff out. And then you've got Duncan being like, well, how do you, I mean, well, you know what I mean? Like, and he goes, you're talking about women. He goes, yes. Well, <laughs> right. I, I meditate and I read and that's enough for me. And Duncan's just like, I don't think I have your strength. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but then they also did a, uh, they also did a great thing. I like where, because everything is taking place interiors we don't really get much of the passage of time except right. for Duncan showed up with a beard. He shaved that. And then the passage of time is shown by his uh, aptitude at reading. He's getting better right. and better. So you know he's been mm-hmm. there for at least a little while Sure, for him to improve his reading like that. Uh, and I loved when he's reading Macbeth and Paul comes into the room finishing the line for him. And he's like, you know, I kind of hoped you'd be reading a Bible, but... Uh, that is a good story. <laughs> like it was it's uh, just all these great little moments and it, yeah. it it gave you this appreciation for how Duncan felt towards Paul. Mm-hmm. So I, I very much appreciated that. I liked these uh these flashbacks overall. Um yeah. it was a good cost cutting measure to set everything inside in this monastery mm-hmm. so you can basically have two or three little rooms that you can use. Um, right. And just kind of rearrange them and, and it can be a different room in the place. So I, I sure. liked that. Um, but the storytelling that they were doing in those flashbacks was great because mm-hmm. it was revealing more information about Paul. It was revealing more information about Callus and setting us up for the reason that Callus killed Paul and is trying to ruin Duncan's life. Right. Um, and did so in a, in a well, I feel like well-written way too. Right. 
So. And that's the thing. Like, that's where we talk about episodes written so well like this one because it does a lot of setup without looking or sounding like just straight setup. Yes. Like, everything flows so naturally. And, again, the actors do a great job with the dialogue that everything feels so natural that you don't feel like, oh, this is supposed to set up something. I mean, Duncan noticing Callus's technique, yeah, that's kind of, that's going to come up. But it's still, you know, a part of everything they're doing that just is set up that doesn't feel like straight set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I had, so my only two nitpicky complaints that I have um, were the voice modulation just because it sounds like post-processing on his voice mm-hmm. as opposed to a natural thing you would have from a scar. Um which is a whole other thing too, because how you know some immortals seem to heal fine from certain things, and certain wounds don't heal. But whatever, that's neither here nor right. there. My only other complaint was we had the moment where Duncan noticed how good Callus was at for at copying forgery. Essentially, mm-hmm. we didn't need a second showing of that exact same exchange <laughs> when he has the realization with Anne. I get right. why they did that. It's sort of a hey, remember this from a few minutes ago. Um, mm-hmm. but it didn't need to be there. We, we got the idea without that. I feel. Yeah. That's um, one of those things where you, it felt like they didn't trust the audience that much. Yeah. At best, I would have done just the voiceover of it and not shown the full scene. Yeah. And thankfully though, they did that, but they, they cut it and they had it nice and short. So mm-hmm. the director and editor of this particular episode knew not to play the whole scene. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Which is nice. Overall, like, again, it's just good work from the flashbacks in fleshing out the story because we mm-hmm. get we not only do we get the the implication that Callus is doing something bad, but then we see it happen with Brother Timon. Right. Um, and Duncan finding that out and we find out how the rift happened because Paul overheard Callus essentially telling Duncan, yeah, sure, I did it, but I've been here forever. You're new. Paul's not going to believe you. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's that confident in what's going on. And Duncan's like, well, actually. And that's when Paul steps in. And, mm-hmm. and I, I liked that, too, because, again, a good moment with Paul where he's, you know, Duncan's like, yeah, you're you're out of here and I'm going to be right behind you with a sword. And Paul's like, there's been enough killing. Right. And or even the line where Callus is like, why would you believe him over me? And Paul's like, dude, I heard your words just now. Mm-hmm. I wasn't just waiting to come down. I was right back there. I heard what you said. That was really well done too. I was like, oh. Well, and then he follows but it up with, he follows it up with like, yeah, but I never hurt you. And Paul's like, it would have been better if you had instead of all these other people. Right. Because that's Paul. Paul is going to think mm-hmm. about other people before himself. So yeah, I really just, I, I enjoyed, and you know, it was fun background stuff too. So all oh, yeah. the, all of the um, flashbacks served your your story. It served moving the narrative along. It gave us more character depth from everybody. So I very much enjoyed that. It's good, good uh, mm-hmm. flashback work this week. Yeah, nobody's seen him. Even missed morning prayers. Well, Mac, I think it's safe to say we've all missed our share of those. Not Paul. He hasn't been off holy ground for 300 years. Much like our special guest this week, our uh, our secondary stars got some really good work. Got 
really well-written and well-performed stuff out of Richie Ann and Joe, who are all in this episode. Yep. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but I loved the first scene with Richie because it what it did for me was it really showed the relationship between him and Duncan. Yes. You know, Richie comes in and he's he's being all cool and he's like, hey, you know, I had I talked to a friend of mine. He wants me to, to come to a bike race. Unfortunately, it's tomorrow and it's in Miami. I'm going to need a couple days away. And as soon as he doesn't pick up on it the second he walks in, but but as soon as he realizes that Duncan is upset, he's just like turns all that off, sits down. Mm-hmm. He's like, what's going on? Right. Well, one little step just before that, just Rick Richie's. Um, what am I trying to think of? Um, where uh, he's at now, mm-hmm. he's like, he comes in hot because he's excited about getting the possibility of getting back into bikes and racing, Yep, which is something Richie started off with, but he doesn't tell Duncan he's doing it. He comes in and asks Duncan, is that going to be okay? It's true. Like maturity. That's the word I was looking for there his maturity go. at this point like he's like he comes in and said is it okay if I take these days off this could be a really cool opportunity not like this is going to be awesome to see you bye right which that's a good earlier Richie would have gotten but yeah. this more mature Richie just showing his character has changed that much that he comes in and asking and then he sees Duncan he hears Duncan it's like okay never mind what's going on yeah, and then he's like, he's ready to just abandon all that and help Duncan out. And Duncan, to his credit, is like, right. dude, go. Mm-hmm. Because And, and his re- reasoning is perfect. He's like, look, if Paul shows up, then everything's fine. And if he doesn't, there's nothing you can do anyway. So go, right. do your bike race. We'll be fine here. Come on back in a few days. And Richie, Richie is, is thankful to Duncan because he wants to go so bad. Right. But he is willing to not go if it means helping his friend. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. And then when he comes back later, again, he comes in, he's all happy with, you know, he's he's proud of himself. <laughs> he won the race. He's got the trophy. It's great. You get that moment where he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I won. Smash cut. And he's like, okay, so what can we do here? Like, he's, he's ready right. to go. So I liked that mm-hmm. a lot. And yeah. again, showing what you're talking about with his maturity because – He's willing to help, and then when they get the call from Callus, and Duncan goes to take off, and Richie's like, I want to go with you, because he wants to help Duncan. And Duncan's like, no, I don't trust him. Go protect Anne. And he immediately does that. He hops right to it and right. goes right mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, Richie is maturing a lot, and Stan Kirsch is just crushing it, playing Absolutely. this character. It's so good. And then... And I just like... I like that it takes no time either. Like, we're not... There's not a big back and forth about it. It's just like, Richie understands. He's there. He's with yep. it. It's like, whatever. It's like, cool. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. And then you get both Anne and Joe are going through essentially the same things where Callus is messing with them hardcore. And I think we'll start with Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's he is in a good place. He's happy with the bar. Duncan's like, hey, how are things going? You know, and, and Joe's like, 90% great. And that's when uh, Max walks in. He's like, there's the other 10%. Right. But he's dealing mm-hmm. with it. He gives the guys walking papers and, you know, mm-hmm. little cash or whatever. And then just seeing the air go out of his sails when the cops show up. Because, again, that whole thing plays out where he's like, he knows this cop. Mm-hmm. And then for it to flip. I guess if I, and again. He knows, 
he said he knows he's a really good cop. Yes. So when the cop comes in and tells him what's going on, Joe doesn't really question it as in you're an idiot. He questions like this can't be happening. Yes. And I think that's a very good distinction to make mm-hmm. because Joe knows people really well. And so for him to say, yeah, he's a good cop. What I liked about it was you've got indignance out of Joe, right? Where he, at first he's like, go ahead, look around. You're not going to find anything. They find something. He's like, what the hell is this? But then he's like, well, I don't need the handcuffs. I can walk myself out. I know my rights, right. all this kind of stuff. But at the same mm-hmm. time, he's not resisting anything. He's not putting up a huge exactly. problem. He's like, he knows that this cop isn't railroading him, but he's upset because things are going down like this. Right. So mm-hmm. I really, I really enjoyed that. And then, I mean, he's genuinely upset. His livelihood is being taken away from him. His bar, this thing he loves so much, is going right. away to the point where when Duncan comes back and he's like, I thought you had till tomorrow to clear out. And he's like, eh. I'm just going to do it now and get it over with. Mm-hmm. Like he just wants to cut the, cut the wound right out. It hurts him that much. Um, right. So, and then the, the genuine concern for Duncan when he's leaving to go fight Callus. He's like, mm-hmm. Hey, he's good. He might be better than you. Right. You know, he doesn't, Dun- Joe doesn't know if that's the last time he's ever going to see Duncan or not. Right. So, yeah, it was just great stuff from Joe. Again, because there's there there was the anger without it being like it wasn't misplaced anger, right? It wasn't him getting upset over you know the dumb parts of things. It was like he's upset because this whole situation is happening. He doesn't want his bar to go away. He just got himself to a good spot. And then Anne is the opposite end of things where things are spiraling out of control on her, and she can't figure out why. She can't get mm-hmm. angry about it because she doesn't understand what's happening. She's so good at her job. And like she said, she has to be like that's And that's not, that's not pride. That's the way it is. Like if you're an ER doctor, you're trained to be the best damn person in the room Mm -hmm. to save a life. Like that's, that's not pride. That's not whatever. Like she has to be that good. Mm -hmm. So if she makes a mistake, that means she's not that good. And that's tough. Right, and if she makes a mistake, as we see, people die, or mm-hmm. at least that's what she's being led to believe. So you've right. got Callus who's playing this stuff behind the scenes, and he's messing with her, and she's unraveling. And and the, mm-hmm. the administrator is throwing around words like burnt out and, and overworked, and mm-hmm. she starts to question herself with that. Like, maybe I am burnt out. Maybe I am working too hard and all of yeah. this. And, and Duncan's trying to console her. Right. Um, and well, you know, even to to the credit of the actor of the administrator, again, it's one of those things. Like the good cop, he's coming down on her for all the reasons and evidence he has. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's being some big, you know, a hole about it. He's like, two people are dead because of stuff that looks like was your fault. So we can't just you know brush this by. Yeah, you and know, hands over here. Like, I don't know how this happened. Like genuinely doesn't know how it happened because she wasn't actually involved. And and credit to the writing team and the director of this episode where they could have made both the cop character and the hospital administrator real dicks about what was going on. Right. They could yeah. have had they mm-hmm. could have had that hospital administrator be very antagonistic towards Anne. And he wasn't. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, we're gonna face whatever the lawyers throw at us. Right. <laughs> 
And then you've got Duncan coming around, starting to figure things out. Has the little flashback flashback of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Callus being really good at calligraphy and then yeah. pulls out a little handwriting thing. And I knew where he was going with it. And I was like, Ooh, very cool. It was cool. And again, to that, the credit of that character that's being written, that administrator, he doesn't bristle at it. He doesn't make a big deal out of it. He's like, well, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. Kind of stuff. Like, right. I liked that. So, and, 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 and then to have all of this happen and, and Duncan is like, look, so this is happening because somebody is after me and they're trying to hurt you to get to me. Mm-hmm. Anne's had it. She can't take any more of this. She wants to know what's going on. And Duncan is still set, telling her, I'll tell you later. And she's like, no, you're going to tell me now. And for Duncan to walk away like that, that's rough for her. Mm-hmm. So then the next time she sees him, he's falling from a catwalk and as as far as she knows snapping his neck and dying in front of her right that's so hard and mm-hmm. and you know she plays uh she plays that perfectly like her performance is great mm-hmm. she's not overly dramatic uh or melodramatic about it um right it's it's really really well done uh plus that last scene with her and Richie in the dojo is a rough one yeah i mean it comes down to like all throughout this episode until that scene. I was like, tell her you idiot. Why not tell her? Why not tell her until that scene where she and Richie talk, she leaves and then Duncan and Richie talk. And I was like, Oh, Oh, and that one. Yeah. I couldn't face another Tessa. Exactly. That's, Oh, it's just gut wrenching because that's when you realize why now we know why for all these episodes, he's held back from, from Anne. He, mm-hmm. it's, it's not Anne that he's afraid of. It's himself that he can't deal with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just top notch work out of Stan Kirsch, Jim Burns and, um, uh, why can't I think of her name now? It was right there. Lisa Howard. I don't know. I don't right. know. I keep wanting to call her Anne <laughs> Lindsay, but it's Lisa Howard. Just top notch mm-hmm. work out of all three of them though. They were, they were yeah, great. For sure. And, and they were all written very well. Mm-hmm. You should have come for me sooner. I had to get Paul off holy ground first. And now, I've got you too. Symmetry has its own beauty. So we have a couple of short fights early on. The The fight with Callus and Paul, real quick. Um, mm-hmm. Not much to it. It makes sense that it wouldn't be. Um, yeah. I loved... I, did, I, was, I, I was thinking earlier, and I wondered if Paul tried to train just a little bit knowing he's going out into the world and you know probably there's still some immortals there and he's like let me try and brush up just in case yeah you know, i mean still, i like the fact that he still had his sword mm-hmm. you know he had it he knew right where it was but it didn't really do him a right. lot of good um so that one was quick we didn't really see much of a fight between callus and timon in the flashback um right but it was definitely there but the fight with Duncan and Callus at uh, the performance hall, I liked a lot. Um, yeah. It, what I liked about it was they had that set and that, uh, that performance hall to shoot in, and they, mm-hmm. utilized, they utilized the stage, the seating, yep. the, um, the staircases moving up to the balcony, in the balcony, going up on the catwalk. Right. You, got this very, you very much got the sense that Callus is as good or better than Duncan. 
which I right. appreciate because it can always, it can sometimes be hard, but like David Robb had, he's, he's got some fencing background or something. He has to probably from, yeah. from stage work um, that he's done stage yeah. and film work that he's done. So, but he's, he's able to pull that off. Um, and what I liked was had he not like, it's funny, his, his move to have Anne show up both furthered along his plot to drive a wedge between the two of them and hurt Duncan through Anne, but it also, mm-hmm. at the same time, stopped him from taking Duncan's head. So right. it sort of worked for him and against him. Because, let's be honest, if Anne doesn't show up, Duncan's done. Callus has mm-hmm. him um, in in a lot of ways, I think. So I wondered if it was more Richie that threw him off than Anne, because he he planned on having Anne there, but Duncan put Richie on guard detail, so he's trying to find her, and then he shows up. I, I wonder if that was one little thing that just Callus didn't think about and count on. I was like, mm, I'm not ready to tip that hand yet. Yes, however, the the other part of it is that if Anne doesn't show up, she doesn't cause enough of a distraction for Duncan to drop. That's true. So, you know, it's sort of it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. Like it it worked for and right. against him. Um, but I loved the story told in the fight. I liked the fact that Callus is very much the aggressor in it, even though Duncan is there, <laughs> he's not backing down. Um, right. And I just liked the utilization of that whole set. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Mm, um, very well done. And uh, and yeah, I mean, look, let's just put it right out there. This is a great episode of Highlander. This mm-hmm. is like peak of what the Highlander series can be, in my opinion, especially so far. This might be the best episode we've watched yet in the three and a half or two and a half seasons that we've done so far mm-hmm. in the show because it's written well, it's paced well. Yep. It benefits from the fact that they're stretching a story out so we don't have to have all the characterization of Callus from introduction to beheading in one episode. Right. And because of that, um, it allowed for a little more room to breathe there and it gave Paul a little more space to be able to use. They utilized their runtime well. There was no wasted time mm-hmm. in this episode. There was no scene that could yeah. get thrown out. There was no flashback stuff that was misused or reused or anything like that. Like it was very, very well done. Mm-hmm. I mean, we nitpicked that one flashback where it was like the of how good he was at uh, recreating stuff. Right. Yeah. And that, and that was, and that's like a big nitpick because they cut it super well mm-hmm. compared to others in the past. Like, yes, they were yeah. very, they were very judicious in the way they cut that one in. Um, so it was mm-hmm. more of just a like, Hey, just in case you missed that part, here's that again. Right. Which is a normal narrative device that you use. So I get that mm-hmm. I could have done without it, but that's a, again, that's a me thing. Um, it's just the pacing is so good. The utilization of the flashbacks to further along the characterizations was perfect. Mm -hmm. It's, it's good stuff. And what I, this is where I love serialized, um, storytelling, but I also like kind of monster of the week stories as well. I like procedurals, um, Mm -hmm. because you can tell a nice concise story in that and over time build your characters, which is really what Highlander has done. I think part of what makes this work this wouldn't work if it was season one. This works because it's season three. We've had time right. to develop Joe. We've had time to develop Richie. Even time to develop Duncan, who's very different from what we saw in the first few episodes. Mm-hmm. But I like these kind of mini serials, these little two and three episode cycles that they, they start right. doing more of. 
because you don't have to condense everything down. You can tell you this has a beginning, middle, and end, but there's more there, and we're gonna get more of it. And yeah, that's what I really, and really I like. My favorite part was that line about I couldn't handle another Tessa. That's a gut punch that's been building for this whole season since he met Anne yep. and started a relationship with her that was on and off again. Like, we're sitting here like, why the heck don't you tell her? And he's like, this is why. I'm not ready. I can't do that again. Yep. To the point where he's like, and I'm leaving. I'd rather leave and start, a, you know, do a different life somewhere else than tell her the truth because I can't do that right now. Yeah. Which tells us how difficult that is for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a great way to work in the, hey, we got to get the show over to Paris for the second half of the season. <laughs> right. So it works yeah. out. I, I just, I can't say enough good things about this. This is the start of, and you and I know where this is going to end too, which I think, mm-hmm. I don't think makes it better, but I'm it's making me more excited for what they're developing because we know oh, yeah. kind of the, the arc and where that's going to land. But mm-hmm. what a great way to kick off uh, and have a to-be-continued um, yeah. mid-season kind of thing going on. It's just great. And Callus is a good... He's a good villain that we know has it in for Duncan. We have a very good right. reason as to why, mm-hmm. but we don't have to be like, well, that's all we're ever going to know about him or or anything like that. We get to find out more about him because he survived. Right. Because um, that's the other thing I think that works and why like Xavier St. Cloud made for a good villain that we saw a couple of times because he survived multiple episodes before Duncan finally got him. So we got mm-hmm. to know him more and we got to hate him more. Right. And, so, and on the other side, we've had multiple episodes with Amanda and gotten to know her more. Mm-hmm. So. So, yeah. And and it has, there's emotional weight in this episode. Um mm-hmm. And, and all sorts, it's just good. It's good stuff. The writing we've talked about is, is top notch in this episode. And it's that pacing too. It never yeah. felt at any point like it dragged on. No, not at all. Now, next week we continue, um, this cycle of stories with star crossed. Uh, we're going to be back in Paris and a little preview Fitz is coming back. I, I can't wait because Fitz. Fitzcarran is awesome. Oh so, my gosh. Uh, looking forward to that. That is next week, the episode 15, Star Crossed. Uh, now, if you like this show, uh, first of all, episodes come out on Thursdays, anchor.fm slash Let's Watch Highlander. Uh, and you can subscribe there or anywhere that you find podcasts. Uh, if you do subscribe, we first of all, we appreciate you and love you. And if you could, if you can leave us a rating and review wherever you get the show, um, that helps the show be more discoverable uh, to other people, um, maybe somebody mm-hmm. else who you know, enjoys, uh, enjoys Highlander. Um, and also if you want to, uh, hang out, uh, and be like Daniora, Diddy, Kurt, Ace, hang out in our chat room while we record live on Tuesday nights, 9 PM at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. We'd love to have you there. Uh, it's great. If you want to talk Highlander or really just about anything, um, you can find me on Twitter at TV's Travis, TVS Travis. Um, and I'm, always happy to talk to anybody uh, about Highlander or, or movies, TV, video games. Um, I've been playing Control um, still. I'm still working my way through the DLCs. I love it. It's so much fun. 
Um, and Audie, you are on Twitter and you also do art for each episode. Uh, I mean, you do art for more than just our episodes, but <laughs> right. once again, you killed it. Like you, I say it every week, but this one was so good because you have three monks and it's Duncan, Paul and Callus. Mm -hmm. But then you threw in that little wrinkle with Callus and his eyes are red. I love that. I, as I was watching, cause you post, when you post them online, I love how you post the, the little video that uh, procreate mm -hmm. procreate makes. And I'm watching that come together and I was like, Oh, that's awesome. That was so good. So <laughs> where, where can people find you um, online? Yeah. You can find me at, uh, on Twitter at oddly normal one with the one spelled out. Uh, you can find me, I post everything there and then eventually, uh, Gets to Instagram too. So on Instagram, I'm just Audie, A U D I E underscore Norman, N O R M A N. I think I still need to post this week's. So forgot to do that today. Yeah, I, I know it hit that. Twitter. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure it'll get on Instagram there soon. What I love is you also put up a uh, another Highlander related one yesterday with the um, kind of futuristic Highlander guy with you. got did. Yeah. Uh, two swords and he had like the, it looked like blue braids kind of pulled back into a ponytail type of thing. Like, yeah, it's yeah, cool looking. I love that. Um, yeah, also, I, I remember if we talked about that on here, like on the stream or off the stream, but just an idea of a futuristic, like thinking of Highlander going past just Earth and stuff. So, yeah, I loved it. Uh, it's great stuff. All your art. Just I just enjoy seeing the stuff that you come up with because you get some really cool ideas going. Also, it was Appreciate great it. to see. Uh, it was great to see Alex recreate your art in real life. That, that was, was pretty cool. cool. Our friend Alex Elbisu yeah. uh, did a Halloween costume of himself as a Jedi, inspired by Audie's drawing of Alex as a Jedi. It mm -hmm. was really, really cool. Yeah. He commissioned that piece shortly after his uh, son was born, wanted everybody as Jedi. Like, cool. And then he dressed up as it. It's like, I think I responded, I think that's the first time anybody's cosplayed off anything I've designed. So that by was the super way, cool. My favorite part of that commission are the dogs because you had the two different dog lightsabers. Mm -hmm. The one that's got it's shaped like a bone and the other one that has like the tassel bit. Oh, that <laughs> I love that. That is like, those are the little details that I just, I just love. So yeah, definitely yeah. check out, uh, check out Audie's art as well. Um, so yeah, next week is episode 15. We're back in Paris. We're going to be seeing, uh, old Hugh Fitzcairn again. Um, mm -hmm. and episode 15 star crossed. So until next week, uh, for Audie and myself, remember that there can be only one brother Paul. Sad day. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>